Hey everybody, welcome. We're doing another Devo with Pat and Jamie today, and we are in the book of Philippians. That's right, we are flipping through Philippians. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, after typing Philippians so many times, I still haven't nailed it without looking at how it's actually spelled right yet. Pat, I gotta be honest. I get it wrong about 50% of the time. Yeah. Too many I's and L's and there's a double P in there and come on, it's too much. You never know. (laughs) There's too many doubles, I think. I think that's what gets me. Yeah. But today we're in chapter one. (laughs) We are. We're still in chapter one. We haven't made it out of chapter one. Yeah. uh, Which is okay. It's okay to spend some time. Yeah. In different chapters of the Bible. You don't have to go super fast. Yeah. And so, you know, in my Bible that I'm looking at right now, the the section we're going to read, verses 27 through 30, it it is titled, Life Worthy of the Gospel. And I haven't read through that entire chunk yet today. I read through it a few days ago. But I'm going to enter into this time of reading it with that mindset of life worthy of the gospel, because we all have a life worthy of the gospel. So that's kind of, that's the frame of mind I want us to have as we enter into this. Great. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Starting at verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you only, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had. And now I hear that I still have the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Life worthy of the gospel. Now, Jamie, when you hear that one phrase, life worthy of the gospel, what's like, if you had to explain that to someone that had no idea what the gospel was, what would you say in in like a very quick way? Yeah, so the gospel means literally good news. And uh, the good news is that Jesus Christ came uh, to earth and lived a life and died for us and for our sins that we could have relationship with God, which is an amazing good thing. And that Jesus rose from the dead and, uh, and that he sits at the right hand of God now. So the good news, the gospel, it's all about Jesus. It's about his uh, work coming into the world. It's about his work while he was in the world, it's about his dying on the cross and it's about his resurrection and how he lives today. So this is the good news. And if you wanted to condense it, you could say, God loves you. And the proof is Jesus. That might be a a simple way of, of, uh, of saying the gospel or the good news. So when I look at that phrase, right, life worthy of the gospel, man, it's, it's pretty tough Hmm. because I think it, it's hard to be worthy. Like God did something that's so much bigger than anything I could ever do. Mm. How can I live up to that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Paul is kind of challenging us in verse 27 here, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ or worthy of the good news of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. 
Now he's writing to a group of people, a church. He's not actually there telling them this, uh, but he is just encouraging them to say, Hey, you know, you, you kind of are worthy and uh, live as if you are worthy. Even if you don't feel worthy, that's the style of living that you should take on. And that's a huge, huge distinction here. And it's, and what's crazy is that our worthiness is not based on our own effort and what we do. It's based on what Jesus did. Mm. Now, some people use that as like kind of a way to get off the hook and just do whatever they want. They're like, I'm saved by grace. I can go party. I can go uh, be mean to people. I can be, you know, a terrible person um, because I'm saved by grace. I'm still saved. It's all good. Um, But I think that's only getting the gospel about half right. Hmm. Um, right. You, cause you're, you're, you're understanding that you're saved, but what you're not understanding is you don't fully understand that grace. You don't fully understand how much God loves you, that you actually want to give that love to other people, right? You want to spread this, this joy, this goodness. And so when people really get and understand the gospel, they no longer want to, live in selfish ways. Right. Right. That starts to fade away. Um, And so when I read this, I mean, we can go right to verse 27, right? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The first word that jumps out at me is is conduct yourselves. Because when I see that word, I think of a code of conduct. Right. Yeah. Have you ever seen like codes of conduct. And usually if you're a part of like maybe a club or a school or something, uh, maybe you like show up to a school for the first time, like, okay, here's our code of conduct that you have to follow. Can I tell you a funny story? Yeah, yeah bring it on. <laughs> so I was, I was hanging out in the shopping center next to the church. And some of you who know the church, you know that there's a shopping center over there that has a like a pharmacy and, and uh, a coffee shop and a little grocery store and a hardware store. And after school, uh, the middle school kids will go over there. And sometimes there'll be just a handful, and sometimes there'll be like 50 of them. They'll just take over. The shopping center hires a security guard. And the security guard is hardly ever the same person. And so they had just hired a new security guard. And he was taking his job like a little like over overly serious. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had read, and so he came running into this coffee shop that I was sitting in, and he taps a middle school kid on the shoulder, and the kid like turns around with wide eyes, is looking at him like kind of scared, because you could tell the kid has like done something wrong. And he, he asks him to come outside, and the kid follows him outside. And then he starts lecturing the kid, saying, you can't do that here. You can't do that here. That's against the code of conduct. Do what? <laughs> and, well, apparently, I think the kid was making out with his girlfriend behind the coffee shop. <laughs> okay, wow. So note to all of you middle school people who are in romantic relationships, um, behind a coffee shop is not a romantic location. So anyway, what surprised me is that the shopping center had a code of conduct. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. And then as I was walking, I saw it's posted. There's literally a code of conduct for a shopping center. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> and a, Yeah. Right. And so I thought, man, I wonder how many places I walk through or how many places I, I, I'm in have a code of conduct. And so for us, I guess the gospel, right? A life that's worthy of the gospel has a 
code of conduct. Yeah. And there's a, a way that makes sense, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, it's, you know, living, living your life kind of like Christ, you know, loving, caring, uh, all of the fruits of the spirit, uh, is kind of the code of code of conduct, you know, the, the kind of classic phrase, like what would Jesus do? It's like, that's kind of a way to encompass the code of conduct in a way. And that's cool. It's like the law became uh, subject really to Christ. Christ was like the law alive, right? So now what Jesus says and what Jesus does is the best way for us to measure um, our code of conduct. The other feeling I just get, you know, reading this is Paul is writing to a group of people that already have a good understanding of the gospel. Uh, if you were, if he was writing to a group of uh, people who were not believers yet, they'd probably read over this and go, I'm super confused. Right. But I kind of get the sense that he is kind of affirming um, what these people have already been doing and saying, continue to do what you have been doing. The other thing too, is a lot of these people, like we had talked about uh, a lot of people in the town are former military people. You know, there was there were a lot of codes of conduct for military. Yeah, you, know, absolutely. you have to wear the right uniform. You have to act a certain way. Right. Um, you have to have a certain mindset. And so he's kind of saying like, hey, here's a new mindset for you. Uh-huh. Here's a new way to act. Uh, here's a new code of conduct. And it's going to be in a way that's worthy of, of Christ. So uh, looking at, at the second part of verse 28, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. And I think the this that's there, right? That that pronoun this is referring back to um, you know, the beginning of 48 without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. <clears throat> so the sign that you'll be destroyed might be uh, the amount of, of kind of fear that you have in the face of, of danger right. or in the face of opposition to Jesus. I think he's telling them, and I mean, he just kind of says it, right? To stand firm, yeah. uh, you need to you need to stand firm in your faith, yeah. Because uh, if you're not standing firm um, and you're afraid and you're running away, maybe you don't really have faith, right? right. Maybe you're just sort of kind of pretending. Yeah that that wouldn't be that wouldn't be good, you know. Faith in action, not faith in concept. It's kind of what you have to <laughs> strive for. Yeah. And there's a million examples of that where people have, uh, you know, one of the classic examples, it's an old school story, but there was a guy who, who used to do tightrope walking and he walked across Niagara Falls Mm -hmm. and he, you know, and the story, the story was printed, I think in newspapers, um, it was a long time ago. Right. And one version of it, I heard, he, he told people, he said, Hey, do you, do you have faith in me? Do you believe I can do this again? Like go back across and the people, you know, shouted like, yeah, we believe you can do it. He's like, okay, but do you really believe that I can, I can do it, uh, (laughs) holding a wheelbarrow? Oh, what the heck? And they're like, yeah, we believe in you. And he's like, okay, if you believe in me, I need one of you to get in the wheelbarrow. And I've heard, I've heard that version. I've heard a version that, that he asked someone to climb on his back and he had someone from the, uh, from the audience get into the wheelbarrow or get onto his back. I don't remember which part of the story actually is most true. And someone had, had to actually have faith. So the question is who really had faith? Was it the crowd or was it the person who really stepped out? Oh. And the answer of course is the person who really steps out. Right. Yeah. 
The other classic example is from, uh, I think it's the third Indiana Jones movie, maybe. Or I don't remember which one. Maybe the first or the second. There's an invisible pathway that he has to walk out onto. And it looks like he's going to fall down a cliff. But he just has to trust the book that he has and take that first step. And as soon as he takes that first step, he realizes he's actually really stepping on solid ground. And so I think faith is a lot like that. You kind of have to, you have to take a leap of faith, a right. jump of faith an right. actual, like you said, actual action. Yeah. And that's when our faith is tested. So if you're frightened and you run away, then the question is, well, did you really have faith or was it just sort of a, a loose hope? Yeah. And it's also like important to re- like not skip over the very last few words of this verse and that by God. It's not your yes. your own skill. It's so not true. like an idol. It's not, you won't be saved by, you know, anything else. It's only that by God. And, yeah. you know, I, for people who might've been worshiping an idol or a false God, it's like, you know, and having faith in that, that's not going to save you. Having faith only in Christ, in God is what's going to actually save you. And if you don't have faith in that, you will probably get destroyed. Pat, I'm curious, man. What's the most afraid you've ever been? Probably right before I had my appendicitis surgery. I had an appendectomy and I think that was the most afraid I've ever been. Just because it was a weird, it was weird. You know, I, I didn't really, you know, I had a lot of pain and so I wasn't really thinking clearly and everything from when I got, I had it on an airplane and I landed and basically went straight to the emergency room or to urgent care. And from the moment I stepped in there to when I was actually having surgery, it was such a whirlwind that I'd had no mind space to actually process what was going on because of the pain. And it was fast and I was kind of delusional and they were giving me all sorts of medications to help with the pain. And I remember being laying down on, on the little like moving table and being brought in and being the most terrified I think I've ever been. But why, why, why'd you ask? Why did I ask? Because we're talking about fear in here. Uh, and, and these people are frightened by their opponents. Um, I just looked at this, this verb frightened or this idea of frightened. And I, I hadn't actually looked at it before uh, or looked it up in like original language or whatever, but it's a unique verb to the New Testament. It's a, it's a unique term. And it kind of means to let oneself be intimidated. It's, uh, I, I read this in a commentary. It's unique in the Greek Bible and it's denoting the uncontrollable stampede of startled horses. What? <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, right? I don't, I've never been in a stampede, but I could imagine that would be an intimidating place to be in. Yeah. That would be frightening. Verse 29 has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And this is what's really cool too, right? It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ to believe, um, meaning that your even your belief is this like gift. Right. Right. That, that your belief in God, your faith in God is is this gift that God gives, which is pretty cool. In fact, this is similar to the word Eucharist, which is like the, uh, like, um, which refers to, it's in the Catholic faith, but, but we refer to it as like the Lord's Supper or communion when you take communion. Right. 
Uh, there's this, there's this free gift that's, that's a joyful gift. There's joy that's in it. Um, joy is a really common word in this book, right? So you've been gifted, uh, this wonderful free gift on behalf of Christ to believe in him, but also suffering is a part of that. You know, I kind of think, you know, when have I suffered for Christ? I try thinking, I'm trying to think of like an example it's, it's hard in, in our, where we're at and what we do, um, because we live in a country where our religious freedoms are protected, right. um, very foundationally. And our, our government, even in recent times, has continued to protect those religious liberties and freedoms. And that's, that's one of those things that, that makes it hard for us to understand uh, what it might be like to be back in this era. And back in this era... Uh, and in this time, you, if you go against the government or if you go against the, uh, the religious people of the time, you could be killed. Like, it wasn't like people would just say, no, you can't have a church service. It's like they could drag you out and kill you and they might not even get in trouble for it. Uh, and it could be very sporadic. Right. And so in this era and in this time, people had legitimate fear because Christians, uh, could be killed, mm-hmm. could be oppressed. Mm-hmm. You could lose your businesses. You could uh, be shut out of, of community groups. There's a lot of bad things that could happen. So yeah. um, the suffering that someone might have could be real. Now, if you look at Paul and the suffering that he had, he had a lot of suffering. He was uh, received the, the 39 lashes multiple times. He was uh, spent, I think he said, a night over um, overnight in the sea. Uh, he had a ship that came apart on him as he was traveling. Like <laughs> the guy has been brought uh, into all these different councils uh, to speak against him. He's gone through a whole lot yeah. for Christ. Yeah. And so when we think about our suffering, it just seems pretty minimal, but I don't like to, and I know Pat, you don't like to minimize anyone's suffering. Right. right? Of course. So today when I think about it, I think if you're a Christian and you want to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, and maybe you're a high school student, and maybe that means you don't want to party and all your friends are partying. Right. That might be one example, right? Yeah. You're like, I don't think that's going to bring Jesus glory if I'm, you know, partying with my friends. Uh, so I'm going to sit this one out. Well, people might see that and, and they may not like that. They might like think like, what are you too good for us? Or they might um, leave you out of, you know, text groups of what people are doing on Friday or Saturday night because they don't think you want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could feel like suffering, right? That could feel like you're missing out. And I think Chris, Christian people who are living in, in this culture in this time, when they choose to really live for the Lord, they think they're missing out on something. Hmm. There's this, there's this significant fear of, uh, of missing out on the other side of, uh, of living. And, you know, Paul in verse 30 kind of touches on that. It's the most personal verse of this whole little section of the letter. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have, you know, he's writing this from many believe prison or like a jail and in captivity and he's saying, you know, he's saying you people that are reading this, you're in the same situation as me. Just you're still in your homes. You're still in captivity. You're still kind of in jail, more or less. And so he's saying all of this and then wrapping it up by saying, I'm here with you. I'm not, you know, telling you something I don't already know. I'm experiencing the same things. And that's, you know, there's something 
really great about knowing that you're not alone. So Pat, if you're being wheeled in to get your surgery and uh, part of it that's that's hard when they wheel you in is you're the only one up on that table, you know, it's just you by yourself. That's right, yeah. And you don't have a lot with you, you know, so you're just there. But knowing that you're not alone and knowing that God is with you uh, and knowing that maybe others have gone through this before is very, very, very encouraging. As we wrap it up, reflect on your life. How are you living your life worthy of the gospel? Are you are you doing it? Are you conducting yourself like at the beginning, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ? And are you living a life that's fearless? Are you actually really not afraid of, of persecution and of struggle? Uh, because you know that there's something better yeah. and that something better is that life worthy of Christ. Well, thanks for checking out today's Devo. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, You'll hear from us again soon. All right. Bye, everyone.